millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the United States, approximately 4,200 Indigenous people go missing and are murdered every year, all unsolved. Although it is thought these numbers are way higher due to underreporting, we will get to that over the next couple of months. But even at the official numbers, these are alarming rates. On some reservations, women experience violence and are victims of homicide at 10 times the rate of women in other communities. This is obviously a complex issue with prejudice and jurisdictional issues, and these all play major roles. I cannot go into that much detail with the roots of the problems here, so I really strongly recommend, if this topic interests you at all, please listen to Missing and Murdered podcast by Connie Walker. And Connie is an Indigenous woman herself, so she knows what she is talking about. I will link her podcast in the show notes. But this week, we will start this series with Unsolved Missing Indigenous Women. This week, I'm Mysteriously Listed. Number 5. Janice Hannigan 1971. Hurrah, Washington 16-year-old Janice Hannigan was a sophomore at White Swan High School and the eldest of seven children to parents Martin and Linda Hannigan. The family were well known on the reservation. Linda would put on community dances so everyone knew them. Linda would do this to keep the teenagers off the street and out of trouble. The family were goals, until they weren't, and Martin and Linda would divorce. This was when things fell apart for Janice. Linda would take the children to Idaho, while Janice chose to remain in Washington with her father. The separation of her parents was hard on her, and she would tell her friends she was struggling to deal with it. Janice's beauty was clear from the inside out, and in November 1971, she would be nominated to be Queen of the Veterans Day Parade. To win, you had to not only be beautiful, but also be a role model of society and sell the most tickets to the parade. The newspaper even ran an article about her, which, according to the interview in the paper, Janice enjoyed beadwork, cooking and watching football. December 21st, 1971, only a few weeks after her feature in the local newspaper. Janice was admitted to hospital with abrasions to her head and chest. How Janice got these injuries, it's not clear, but she would be released three days later on Christmas Eve. But Janice never made it home from the hospital and she was never seen again. And this wouldn't be the first time Janice would go missing. Late February 1971, Janice went with her father to a basketball game in Lewiston, Idaho, and she ran away from there. Although she would be found only days later at another family member's home in Idaho. I don't necessarily count this as running away from home. Just a kid struggling being away from her mother and siblings, while still wanting to be close to her father. It would have been tough. But would this desire to be close to everyone be her downfall? This is why the main theory here would be that Janice was a runaway, 
that she left her dad's home that day to go back to her mother and then something happened along the way. Others believe Martin Hannigan was involved. But Janice's sister, Tracy Clark, strongly denies this is even a possibility. He has since passed away without answers as to what happened to his eldest child. Another rumour was that Janice was staying with a woman in Seattle with the last name of George. Her mother Linda breaking down in tears with each rumour that proved false. Quote, Janice came to my mum's mind a lot over the years. She would get her hopes up when people would tell her, Oh, I saw Janice walking in Seattle. She's living with some woman over there. Or I saw Janice walking from Wapato. Think she's going home to Hurrah. All lies. Unquote. In another tragedy without resolution, Janice's niece, Linda Dave, was found shot to death under the Marion Drain Bridge on US Highway 97 near Toppenish. But she wouldn't be identified until March 2018, although family members have told others they provided dental records soon after her body was discovered. The disappearance of Janice Hannigan and the murder of Linda Dave remain unsolved. Number four, Daisy Tallman. Growing up, Daisy Tallman was a star high school basketball player and was the youngest of six sisters who were all raised by their maternal grandparents, raised as a member of the Confederate tribes and bands of Yakima Nation. Although at the time of her disappearance, Daisy was staying with relatives in either Toppenish or White Swan. Daisy was spunky, fearless and very independent, but also very much an introvert. She loved her family and the traditional way of life. She was skilled in traditional crafts, including painting, pipe making and beading. Daisy was always happy to offer a helping hand to anyone in need. 1986, Daisy gave birth to a daughter, Sherry, named after a sister who died as an infant. Daisy was so excited about becoming a mother but this excitement would soon turn to devastation when Sherry died of sudden infant death syndrome. Daisy would fall into depression when her beloved grandmother died only months later. To say Daisy was emotionally fragile would be an understatement. 29-year-old Daisy was known to drop off the grid for a couple of weeks at a time, so when she wasn't seen for a while, her family weren't too worried. Daisy was resourceful and physically strong, She was capable of surviving on her own in the mountains for weeks at a time by hunting, gathering and fishing for food. But as the weeks turned into months, her family became concerned, and on October 29, 1987, Daisy was reported missing. This would immediately become an FBI case as they have jurisdiction over serious crimes on tribal reservations, but the case never really led anywhere and according to Daisy's family, there was a lacklustre response from law enforcement. The next update in the case would come a year after she disappeared, when several items belonging to Daisy was found. A set of keys, a backpack and a turquoise ring was found in a closed area in the reservation called Soda Springs. There was no other evidence, though, as to where Daisy was and what happened to her. Although her family have accepted she was deceased, and in 1994, Daisy Tallman was officially declared illegally dead. In 1989, human remains without a skull was found in a remote area on the Yakima Reserve. She would later be given the name Parker Doe, 
and she would initially be buried in West Hills Memorial Park. In late 2008, these remains would be exhumed for possible matches to a number of missing Indigenous women. The FBI had the remains tested for mitochondrial DNA, and the FBI laboratory later determined there was insufficient evidence to conclude the remains belonged to Daisy. The police believe Daisy was murdered. However, there is no leads and no suspects named in the case. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Delphine Nichol did not have the easiest childhood. Delphine was born into the Wet'suwet'en tribe and the baby of her family. She grew up running wild on a massive farm near Smith, British Columbia, which was perfect for her. Delphi loved animals of all sizes. But unfortunately, Delphi's father was murdered when she was 11 years old. Her whole life was ripped out from under her, and she would move to Telqua with her mother. In 1990, Delphi's mother Judy fell ill after a surgery had gone wrong, and she spent four months in hospital in a coma. During this time, Delphi lived with her uncle Frank, who lived across the street from them. Wednesday, June 13, 1990, at approximately 2pm. Delphi told her uncle she was going into town to meet up with some friends. She ended up meeting up with three girls, including one close friend, Crystal Grenke. The group wandered around town where they ended up at the Mohawk gas station, which was located on the corner of Main Street and Highway 16. Delphi's friends would later report Delphi was insistent they spend the night with her because her mother was still in hospital. Now, to the girls, this was strange because Delphi had never asked any of them before to spend the night. Regardless of the reason behind it, the girls were unable to go because of school and work the next day. Delphi called her uncle to tell him she was on the way home. Delphi was last seen hitchhiking in the eastbound lane of Highway 16, but she would never make it home. In the days that followed, Delphi's family reported her missing. Police were not concerned. Delphi was known to the police, just minor offences like theft and mischief, but she had a few stints in the province youth facility. They simply told Delphi's family that she must have taken off and they believed she would return home soon. Police were not going to help, which would have been incredibly frustrating for the family. Quote, there was no, literally no support. The cops really never shown a lot of interest. They obviously did not care. Unquote. Finally, Ken Pro Investigation Services and the Missing Children's Society of Canada offered their help, and they announced a $10,000 reward for any information leading to the whereabouts of Delphi. This got the tips coming in. An employee of the Mohawk gas station claimed to have seen Delphi getting into a red sports car on the night of her disappearance. 
possibly to head to a party in the rural area of Smithers. Delphi's uncle was also considered a suspect at one point, but the evidence was strong that Delphi never made it home that night. In March 2019, a witness came forward with information which considered that Delphi was most likely picked up by someone who was on their way out of town. Unfortunately, all of these leads never resulted in any answers for the family. It is thought that Delphi was a victim of the Highway of Tears, adding her name to the countless dozens who have gone missing or who have been murdered along this notorious highway. We will discuss the Highway of Tears in an episode in early 2023. Number 2. Alyssa McLemore 21-year-old Alyssa McLemore was a member of the Aleut tribe and a mother to a sweet little two-year-old girl. She came from a close-knit family in Kent, Washington. She was also the primary carer to her mother, Gracie, who was suffering from a terminal autoimmune disease. April 9, 2009. Alyssa called her grandmother, Barbara, to say that Gracie took a turn for the worse and wasn't expected to last much longer. Alyssa asked her to come home to be with them. By the time Barbara arrived, Alyssa was gone. The next day, April 10, 2009, 9.15am, a 10-second phone call was made to 911 from Alyssa's phone. It was a woman frantically begging for help, but the line went dead before the dispatcher could get any information from the woman. The police tried to track the call, but they were unable to get a hit on the location because Alyssa's phone did not have a GPS tracker. All they could determine was the call was made in Kent and that the call came from Alyssa's phone. Unfortunately, the phone went out of service a few days later. Alyssa's family did not even know she was missing until the police contacted them about the 911 call. This would be when she would be reported missing. Unfortunately, her mother Gracie died three days later, never having said goodbye to her daughter. Two sightings of Alyssa were reported to police. On the day she called her grandmother, April 9th, she was seen near 30th Avenue South and Kent Des Moines Road in Kent's West Hill. She was seen talking to a man in a green 1990s model pickup truck with Oregon license plates. Another witness supported this sighting. Alyssa was with a Caucasian man aged in his 50s, around 5 foot 8 and around 180 pounds. Alyssa didn't seem upset or frightened by this man. They seemed familiar with one another. Although Alyssa's family strongly believed she would have not left her mother and daughter, it would be unusual for her not to be in contact for longer than a few hours. But the fact is Alyssa was an adult and she was free to disappear if she so wished. It is possible she simply decided she needed some time by herself. That's the theory from police, anyway. What the family believes, Alyssa did not have her own vehicle. She relied on public transportation, friends or hitchhiking if she needed to go anywhere. It is possible she had accepted a ride from the wrong person. I think this is more likely the scenario. In the intersection where she was last seen is close to Interstate 5, which connects Washington with Oregon and California. If she had been picked up there, she could be in a different state before her family even knew she was missing. Said Alyssa's aunt Tina Russell, quote, 
Every single time there's a body found on the news, there's a pause. It's literally like you're dead for a moment, because you have to wonder, is it Alyssa? I think I've called the coroner more than anyone should in a lifetime. Unquote. Number 1. Cynthia Martin 50-year-old Cynthia Martin was a member of the Gitson Nation. She'd previously worked as a youth worker on the east side of Vancouver. Just before her disappearance, Cindy moved to New Hazelton, a village located along Highway 16, to be close to her mother and mother's family. On Sunday, December 23, 2018, Cindy was spending the day with her mother and was last seen leaving her mother's home that night around 9pm. She was reported missing the next day when no one had heard from her. Police and family members began searching for Cindy immediately on the ground and in the air. This is the only case we discussed today where it seemed police took the disappearance seriously right from the start. Maybe it was due to Cindy's age or background, I'm not sure. Several weeks of long and thorough searches were conducted by law enforcement and volunteers, and although Cindy was not found, her car would be. Cindy's vehicle would be discovered abandoned and locked near Halwick Bridge. There was no sign of a struggle in the car, and all her personal belongings were still inside. Despite finding her car, no leads were ever made in the case, and there have been no suspects. After over a year with no sign of the missing woman, family and friends became seriously worried. It was extremely out of character for Cindy to have taken off without telling anyone. Adding to their concern was the fact that there were no sightings of Cindy anywhere. Said Sister Sheridan, quote, There has been no sign, no sign of Cindy. We just don't understand where she could have disappeared to. Unquote. Rumours about a family history of mental illness have left many to wonder if she had a mental break and wandered out into the desert and succumbed to her environment. However, I don't subscribe to this theory myself. I would think at 50 years old, Cindy would have shown some sign of mental illness, but I couldn't find any evidence of this. The main theories go one of two ways, that due to her personal items being left in the car, did she simply walk away from her life with a secret lover, or did she leave her car with the intention of returning soon, looking for help for a car problem that resolved itself as soon as the engine cooled. But she would never know this, because she crossed paths with a nefarious stranger. The investigation into Cindy's disappearance is still active, and the authorities have investigated several hundred potential leads connected to the case. Nothing substantial has been found. Unfortunately, the police do believe the disappearing herself theory, and don't believe foul play is involved. Given Cindy's car was found along the notorious Highway of Tears, it is very likely Cindy was a victim of foul play. Unfortunately, to date, this case remains unsolved, as do all the cases along the highway known as the Highway of Tears. What would you like to see mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Please search Mysteriously Listed on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search Mysterious List. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice. 
and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Research, additional writing, hosting and production is by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.